What I'm going to talk about tonight is, uh, it's heavy. Mm, not heavy that I'm heavy, but the subject matter is heavy. And uh, when God first started dealing with me with this, it was probably, probably about four years ago when I was, um, I'm always trying to discover something that we haven't peered into. I think we've missed a lot of stuff that God wants to reveal to us. And um, because my background is psychology, sociology, I often looking at the mental aspect of our relationship with God, the intimate aspect of our relationship with God, and trying to see what can we do to deepen that. Because all of this is about an intimate relationship with God. So what is stopping us from complete intimacy? What is stopping us from being able to give all of ourselves to God and hold nothing back? Because that's what he wants. Um, though we can't be completely reciprocal in our relationship with God as far as what he gives us and what we give back, I think that we need to try a little harder to make it a little more reciprocal. And there are some things that prohibit us from being able to give that much of ourself to God. And that's what I want to try to discover so that mainly this is really selfish because I just want it for myself. And, um, you know, I have this platform to do it, so hopefully y'all will join in with me. Um, like I say, you know, nothing that I uh, say right now is about so much heaven or hell. It's not about if you don't go with an extra deepness that you won't make it to heaven because I, no, I have no idea. I don't know what God is passing for each person and letting us, you know, he knows our problems and our issues and our difficulties. So it's not for me to tell you that. It's for God to tell you that. And I just want to pique your interest enough to, for you to ask God, is there more you want from me? Is there something else that I need to give you? Is there a reason why I'm not laying myself bare before you when I know that that's what you require? So what I started dealing with is the process of confession, cleansing, and healing. And a lot of times we want the destination, but we don't really want to take the journey to get there. So we all want to be healed. We all want to be forgiven, and we all want to be righteous. There are things that he tells us we must do in order to arrive there. And for some reason, we want to keep thinking that he's going to change his mind. And, um, you know, like if Google Maps tells us to turn left and we turn right, we don't quite get mad at Google. We don't say, well, Google, you messed it up. Why, why can't I go right when this, we should go be able to go roundabout? Um, uh, uh, when we making a cake and I leave out the eggs, I'm not then hunting down Betty Crocker and saying you can't cook or you don't know what you're doing. But somehow with God, we miss directions and we skip steps and we get mad at God. We somehow then think we get to say you're not who you said you were, that you were not as faithful as promised, and you did not fulfill that scripture. And, and I know this is not all stuff we say out loud, but, you know, the stuff that don't nobody want to say out loud, I try to say for everybody else. And because uh, I say it out loud, and I've been told to shut up a time or two, but um, I figured I might as well just see where my boundary is with God before I don't say anything at all. So um, I want to try to get to the root of what our problem is. What is the root that makes us run? What is the, the root cause that makes us not want to delve into God deeper? Which, if we delve into God deeper, we must delve into ourselves deeper. You cannot separate the two. I cannot just be this complete spiritual being and I'm all into the Jesus and he's just so wonderful. Yet, my life is chaotic. Yet, I don't have connections with others. It has to go together. So, when the two don't meet, what happened? Because we all trying to get to Jesus. 
we not like trying to shun him and say we don't want nothing to do with him. We really want him. What is stopping us from getting there? That's just my pondering. That's what I'm trying to figure out. So he has helped me discover that the root of all this is shame. Shame. The emotion we never talk about. The thing that we all have. That is one thing that no one gets away without having. is shame. Now, unless you're a sociopath, then you don't have shame because you don't feel anything. So I'd rather be on the side of having a little shame than not having none at all. Because um, those folks, we can't really do much about. Well, the good Jesus could do whatever he wants, but I'm just saying. Um, shame tells us to hide and to be afraid. It tells us not to trust and believe. It tells us that we are the only one we can really hold on to. Yet at the same time, it tells you that you're not quite good enough either. Shame is the true weapon that the devil has been firing since the beginning of times. It is the first emotion he gave to Adam and Eve. If he can make us carry this toxic shame, then he keeps us from ever coming clean with God. When shame is mentioned in the Bible, it is usually always tied to sin and guilt. Sin says I missed the mark of God. Guilt says I did something wrong and I need to pay for it. Biblical shame is never tied to an inner sense of worthlessness and despair. God never attacked us. He just went after what we did. He values us. And I know sometimes we've pushed that God doesn't really value us, that we don't deserve this and we're worthless. God disagrees with that. He thinks we're very worthy. Look at all he did to get us. Who would do that for something they didn't value? He sees us as valuable. Yet that's hard to accept. The devil goes after our worth. The devil is angry that we are valuable, and he has decided to make us believe it too. Shame is a gift from the devil. This is the gift that keeps on giving. He keeps wrapping it up, and we keep unwrapping it in hopes that somehow this gift, this time, is not going to hurt us. We have put so much focus on the acts that we didn't take enough time to examine the whys. We never really looked at why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why am I going after that? Instead, we just say, stop it. We just don't do it anymore. Well, if it was that easy, we wouldn't be doing it. I don't really want to keep going up against God, but somehow I find myself back there He tells me, don't do it, yet somehow I keep doing it. What is it that makes me keep doing it? We read that we need to clean the inside first, but somehow we didn't really believe it. Somehow we thought if we cleaned up the outside enough, the inside somehow would be penetrated. If I got everything else looking right, if I even said the right things, Even if I tried to profess the right things, somehow the inner me could get cleaned. Not what God said. Focus on the inner first. The outer is going to come after that. But how did we think we could change the directions? Why did we think that we had the right to change God's directions? To make you come in and clean yourself up and look a certain way and have a certain lingo? Who are we to go against God's directions? And then we wonder why it's not sustained. Why can't we keep this going? Why have we lost it over and over and over again? Because we did it wrong. And now, for what seems like forever, we've been lost in the wilderness. Just roaming around, generation after generation. This is not new to us. The generation before us, they was lost. We all lost together. And we keep telling everybody else to stay lost. Just get it together. Just dress right. 
Just come to church every week. Just make sure you're in the pew every Sunday and every Wednesday. Go to prayer. Fast. Do this. Do that. Do, 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 do. God said, no, I need you to clean yourself out. If that means you're sitting down somewhere doing nothing and waiting for my voice to tell you what is next, that's what I need you to do. But shame tells you you got to keep moving. Shame says you got to show God you're valuable instead of believing you are valuable. So we're making idols out of sinful behaviors and we're worshiping at their feet. We think if we talk about sin enough, somehow we'll stop. If I tell you how ugly it is, somehow you won't want to do it. How's that working? <laughs> because what you fear, you worship. And we're so afraid that we're not enough. We're so afraid that we're going to slip that we slip. We're so afraid of doing anything wrong that all we do is wrong. And Paul told us that the law was there to seduce us. That it was there to make me want it. That I wasn't even thinking about that stuff. He said it, it seduced me. I looked at it. And then it looked like I want to go touch it. Don't we get that's what we keep doing? We keep making an idol out of every wrong thing that we shouldn't do. So now we're just at its feet. And it's seducing us. Because we know the devil knows how to seduce. He's really, really good at it. And he's crept up in our message. And we don't even realize it. And all the devil's doing is say, come to me. Yet we shouting and running and crying and snotting, and we can't figure out why can't I get to Jesus. The devil fooled us, and God is mesmerized by the acts that we lost focus on the inner being, the soul, which is the core of us. The body just acts out what the spirit does. Who the spirit is, that's what the body's acting out. So why do you keep acting certain ways? Because your spirit ain't right. Because your soul ain't been converted completely yet. That's why he wanted us to clean the inside first. So that then the body will do what the spirit is doing. Our spirits are riddled with shame. To the extent that love and freedom that Christ wants to impart to us can't hold it. And shame has created the holes. So we're a vessel. God keeps pouring stuff in us. But the holes keep letting it all leak out. We've been hearing God loves us for how many years? We've been hearing about the goodness of Jesus. We can do all that. We can say it. It hasn't penetrated us because the holes are there. It keeps oozing out. And we ain't figured out yet, Lord, I need to pray for you to close my holes. I need to give you these holes so that the love you pour in me gets to stay this time. Because we got to get tired of it leaking. We got to get tired of feeling like we're full of God and then somehow he disappears. God was never supposed to be a high you weren't supposed to get a shot up of God and you feel good for a little while and then you just go on about your life and then he fades away so you got to get shot up again. He's not a drug. But we treat him like he's some kind of thing that we're supposed to use and abuse just like drugs. Something is wrong with that picture. We missed it. He, he said he's never leaving us nor forsaken us. Why do we keep feeling so forsaken? Why do I keep feeling like I'm just left out in the cold? When I have the God of the universe residing in me and I still feel alone, he keeps leaking out. So I'm going to give you a little small picture of what shame is just so we can kind of be clear on what we're speaking about. Um, we often are ashamed to have shame, and this is why we never talk about it. We feel ridiculous, and then we try to hide it. 
even from ourselves. So I'm going to read some emotions, and I want you just to be able to trace yourself back to when you started feeling these certain emotions. And, of course, this cannot be done in one little setting, right? I give you stuff so that you can keep going after you leave me and uh, let God do the work he needs to do. Uh, but um, the key is to be able to trace back when you felt this stuff so that you can pinpoint when it occurred so you can give that lie to, to God and he can start healing you. So it will be essential in you discovering your root of shame, which will enable you to confess and be cleansed from it. Shame represents an entire family of emotions. The family includes humiliation, embarrassment, feelings of low self-esteem, belittlement, and stigmatization. Keep in mind this doesn't have to be your overall feelings of yourself, but I want you to find when you do feel these ways. Shame is often central to different ingredients that we experience. And I'm actually going to give you guys this paper so you can read along with me. I told you guys that this is not formal at all. And then that's, this is also for you guys to be able to take with you and let God do some work on you. So um, shame is often a central ingredient in the experiences of being alienated, inadequate, helpless, powerless, defenseless, weak, insecure, uncertain, Shy, ineffectual, inferior, flawed, exposed, unworthy, hurt, intimidated, defeated, rejected, dumped, discouraged, stupid, bizarre, odd, peculiar, different, and depressed. So if you look at those, um, I'm sure you felt some of those emotions at some time in your life. Um, you may not want to jump up and say you felt them, but generally we felt some of them, right. okay? So shame is often experienced as an inner critical voice that judges whatever you do is wrong, inferior, or worthless. Often this inner critical voice is repeating what was said to us by our parents, relatives, teachers, and peers. We may have been told we were naughty, selfish, ugly, and stupid, not wanted, flawed, fat, worthless. We may have been ostracized by peers at school, humiliated by teachers, treated with contempt by our parents or our siblings. Shame can also be caused by others expecting too much of us, evoking criticism when our performance is less than perfect, never satisfied with our accomplishments. They were critical no matter what we did. Unfortunately, these criticisms become internalized so that it is our own inner critical voice that is now metting out the shaming messages. So even though we've moved away from those that maybe were speaking to you, now you just talk to yourself. You don't even, you think everyone else is saying it because you're like, I know they feel that way about me. I know they're saying this about me. Nobody's saying nothing. It's you. You are telling yourself what you were told. And now you feel a certain amount of obligation to continue the shame. And the thing with the, the perfectionism is that's the one part that we've actually taken over into the church. We're striving to be perfect. We're trying to get this perfect salvation. We're trying to be perfect in Christ and without sin, without fault. God never said that. Never said you were going to be perfect. Never said you were going to be without sin or faults. Or, he never said that. We messed it up almost on purpose to keep the shame message going. I don't know where we were doing it. Right? Unaware. We thought we were doing the right thing. 99 and a half won't do. Right? I mean, we 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 fighting so hard to get to flawless. Everything in us knows we'll never make it. That's why we feel like such a disappointment to God. Because we know he's disappointed in us. We know he's not sitting there smiling. Saying, look at my children. Boy, them some good kids. 
We figure he's looking down on us and saying, good Lord, when will you get it together? Clearly, these shaming inner voices can do extensive damage to our self-esteem. These self-criticisms that we are stupid, selfish, a show-off, become in varying degrees how we see ourselves. For some of us, the inner critical judge is continuously providing a negative evaluation of what we are doing moment by moment. The critical judge never leaves us. That's why if you trace yourself back, you hear yourself saying the most negative things to yourself. God, that was stupid. Why did I do that? Man, that was dumb. Man, can I ever get it right? Gee whiz. Well, I, oh, that's the critical judge. I believe shame is the emotion that the devil felt when he was banished from heaven. He knew at that time that God perceived him as worthless and awful. He knew he also could never be redeemed. This shame thing says, I am unredeemable. The devil wants us to feel as he feels. Even though we have chosen God and we are redeemed, the devil keeps playing in our minds the track that is playing in his mind. Unredeemable. And this is why if we do not get to this, none of the rest makes sense. Remember the, the three things that a thief comes to do. Steal, kill, destroy. Shame does that in one swoop. It steals your worth, which makes us then act a fool. It kills your ability to connect and be vulnerable which is essential to this walk. And it destroys your ability to receive and give genuine love. Yes. See, the receiving of love is the aspect that we keep jumping over. We want to give it. I want to say, God, I love you. God, I'm for you. God, see me. I'm doing all this for you. But if I can't first receive the, un you know, the amazing, relentless, extravagant love that God has for me, individually, just because I'm me, I can never give that back to him. No matter how hard we try to say, I love you, God, if I cannot receive his love, I got nothing. Remember, it's he loved us first. But we want to change the directions again. How are we going to love God when we don't even know what love is about? Half of us, you know, ain't really been loved right. So how can I then give a love to a God if I don't sit back and let him love me? But we change the directions because when he saved us, then all we knew was that we had to get up and get going. Get busy. Get working. Go save somebody else. Go witness. How am I going to witness about Jesus? I don't know him. But then I'm ashamed that I don't know the man. I'm ashamed I don't know the scriptures. I'm ashamed that I can't quote this. I'm ashamed I can't defend the doctrine. So what do I do? I put all my attention into trying to be this perfect little saint that's able to get it out. That's able to say, I, I work on this thing, and I'm doing this, and I'm able to do this, and look at me, and I done called all these people to come to church, and all these people done got saved under my witnessing. <laughs> but I don't know him. And because I don't know him, I never let him know me. Because, see, he wants to know us. He wants to sit down and just have some good old conversation with you. He wants you to see him as, his, as a friend, not as a tyrant in the sky trying to come do damage. He wants to say, hey, I kind of like you people. It's the reason why I did all I did, because I, I kind of like you guys. I made you in my image, because I think I'm pretty fantastic, is what the good Jesus says. And I thought that I would give you a part of me. 
Then I give you my spirit so that you're never by yourself. Because right, right. I don't want you to ever feel alone. Because right. it's nice to be with people. And then we forget the fact that God wants you. He don't need you. He don't need you. He just wants you. Because he loves you. And he thinks you're pretty special. But we miss all this. And this is why shame must be destroyed. Because it takes every part of salvation away from us. Every good thing God wants to give us, we can't receive. Every joy he wants to impart to us, we can't hold on to. When he says, I am it all, you have it all, yet we feel so without. So the key, and this is the hard part, <laughs> of eliminating our shame is confession, which is the most frightening aspect that we have shame is to ever tell somebody that I have it. We must be able to release the lies and embrace the truth. God wants to pull this stuff up from the roots. We have been giving him bits and pieces, a little tree limb here, a couple of flowers, but he wants us to destroy this tree from the root, and the root I truly believe is shame. Now remember when you pull the tree up and the roots get exposed, after a while, the tree has to die because it has nothing to feed them. If you start digging, and this is a digging you got to do. And you start exposing the truth. The shame will go away. Not easy to do. Simple, yet not easy. Confession is the key to healing. Every time I confess my sin... Every time I tell of the wrong deeds, every time I confess the lies of the past and the present, every time I tell God I don't believe you, every time I tell God I doubt you, every time I tell God I don't think you are what you said you are, every time I tell God why did you let this happen to me, every time I tell God you disappointed me, every time. Tell it, he cleanses me. He fills a hole. Because hmm. he then cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is why he can present us faultless. Because he keeps washing us. And each time we confess, we get a new washing. Because he's doing the presenting. It's not us doing it. And that's why I said in the beginning, I don't know what presentation he's doing with each one of us. He's going to put you up on display and say, this is mine. And when he puts you up on display to his father, he's saying, they're perfect. You didn't do it. He did it. He filled the holes. He cleaned you up. This is mine. And this is my gift. Because remember, we are the glory of God. That when he put his son up on that cross, he said, at the end, I'm giving you a gift. We the gift. That's how much he thinks of you. That after he allowed his son to die, a death he did not deserve, the constellation prize is us. Wow. Because would you be happy if I wrapped you up and presented you to yourself? <laughs> right. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he thinks of you. And remember, he knows it all. And he still thinks you are prize-worthy. For his son, whom he loves and adores. Wow. You're special. 
just for being you. This is why the devil wants to snatch confession from us, because he knows without confession, there is no cleansing and no cleansing. Then there is no heaven. God knew we would be sinners. He built in a contingency plan and the plan was confession, repentance and cleansing as the way to keep us without the spots. But what did we do? We started shaming folks for confessing. We started feeling, oh, man, I can't tell that. I don't want nobody to know what I did. That's not the devil got us. So we all sitting in the pew acting like we so holy. Not messed up, not crying ourselves to sleep at night, not miserable and depressed and thinking that this salvation thing was a joke. And God was not as good as everybody told me he was going to be. But I'm there. And I'm smiling. I got my good shoes on. Hair done. I look pretty. And I'm dying on the inside. And because we're all dying together, I can't help you. I'm drowning. I can't. If we both drown, and we sure can't throw each other nothing. <laughs> so we just dying in the house, and nobody's there to help us out but God. All we have to do is follow the directions. Just follow them exactly how He said them. Not how we have misrepresented them, not how we have twisted them, not how it makes us feel comfortable, but to follow them. So, Scripture says he is just to forgive us. God is about justice, loves justice, loves doing what's right. He says, if you do these things, then my justice will prevail and you will be clean. So clean that I cannot even see what I just cleaned. Because he really know how to wash stuff. <laughs> he don't leave nothing behind. We just clean. That's why in one of the scriptures it says, I, I, don't even, I don't even see. I don't even see that stuff. You just clean. You think you're holy, right? You think you're all messed up, holy meaning holes. You think that you're so messed up. You think that you're ugly on the inside and God is disgusted. And he sees you as clean. Yes. No matter what you've done, if you confess, you are clean. That's crazy. That's craziness. That all I have to do is say it. All I have to come to you and give it to you and say, this is me. Take my junk and then you wash me. Yes. We don't want it that simple. Because we don't feel like we deserve something that simple. That's too easy. Not when I had to jump through hoops with everybody else. Folks didn't just forgive me. I didn't really do nothing that wrong to them, and they still didn't forgive me. And no one ever forgot. <laughs> you still bringing up stuff from when I was 10. I ain't got over that yet. So you, Jesus, you don't remember? You who knows all things, you don't remember? It's gone? That I just did last night, you don't remember it. So I'm standing here in front of you and you don't remember what I just did. You know we don't believe that. <laughs> you know we think he got a little record book up there. And he like, girl, you just confessed this two weeks ago. What's wrong with you? See, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. See, that's the stuff we have to confess. God, I don't believe that. I know you said it. I know I'm supposed to believe it. 
Because I know you said you wasn't a liar. But right now, I'm feeling a little uneasy about this. I want you guys to get that comfortable with God. That you don't think he ain't coming to get you. He don't want to beat you up. He just wants you to be honest. That's it. Tell me. Because then he can show you who he is. He's sitting there saying, hey, you know good way you don't believe me. Quit saying that scripture. You don't believe that girl. Sit down. Tell me the truth. Tell me you don't believe me. So I can show you how believable I am. We are so ashamed of our weaknesses and sins that we hide them instead of confessing them. But he said, confess, cleanse, heal. Shame is the devil's plan. Shame is what keeps us from becoming all God wants us to be. Wanting to hide behind the veil is what makes us sick. Because remember, we are only as sick as our secrets. Remember, Christ ripped the veil. We don't need to hide no more. Shame is the core problem. One of the reasons why we keep sinning is because we cannot receive the love of God. We often say, how can you choose to hurt someone? You know, you people preaching. God loves you so much. Why would you hurt him like that? Why would you do such an awful thing to a God that's done nothing but die for you? And then that's shame. See, that's shame, putting, putting shame on you. Yeah, I don't receive it. That's my problem. Yeah, he loves him. He don't love me. Shame says it's impossible for a God like that to love me. So, yeah, I'm a sin and, and mess up because that thing helps me hide more shame. Because shame just is a circle. I feel shame. I do things to cover the shame. That thing I did to cover it makes me feel more shameful. So then I'm just back in the circle again. How do I respect a God that would choose me? When I know how awful and unlovable I truly am. Feeling undeserving stops us from living a better life in Christ. So we're going to look at some scriptures. And I want us to look at these scriptures, you know, together. And then I'm going to give us some time. I'm not asking y'all to confess right now if y'all don't want to. But what I want to do is just give us some time to talk about this. I'm not here to be the answer. God's going to give us all something. So what we don't understand is often good, and we do this often, is uh, let's talk about it. Let's see where we are. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. You're more than welcome to just take it all in. Uh, but it's, it's good to hear what God gives different people because I know you guys are his children, and I know that he's going to give you what you need, and he's going to give you a slant that I'm not going to have because he talks to me with what I need. So... If we can just, you know, do that, we'll see how that goes. Um, and then if y'all want to talk, then we're going to just be finished because I can't make y'all do nothing. <laughs> but my prayer is that for everyone to get a breakthrough with this. It may come tonight. It may take you a while to get there. Um, but I just want you to start chipping away at it so that you can see what God wants to give you. So the first one, Psalms 32. Three, and three through five. And I'm reading the amplified version, so it's going to have a few extra words in it that uh, tells us what those words really are saying. It says, when I kept silence before I confessed, my bones wasted away through my groanings all the day long. For day and night your hand of displeasure was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, continually unfolding the path till all is told. Then you instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin. Now notice that he confessed the sin which is the missing the mark, the iniquity, which is the why behind the sin, 
the moral evil or the nastiness of the sin. And then he also confessed the transgression, which is the act of overstepping the limit. So when you come to God, you need to give him the complexity of the sin. Don't just say, oh, God, I lied. I want you to say, God, I lied because I was afraid and I didn't know what was going to come of it. And I didn't trust you to be able to handle it. I want you to give God everything. Sometimes our confessions are a little too simple. So we have to confess the whole thing. Then instantly, he forgave the sin. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. It says, come, let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you were stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. If you will only let me help you. If you will only obey then I will make you rich. But if you keep on turning your backs and refusing to listen to me, you will be killed by your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. And the truth is, we are our worst enemy. This stuff that is going back and forth in our heads and in our hearts are destroying us. James 5 and 16. And this is probably the hardest one. (laughs) Confess to one another, therefore your faults. That is your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. See, we want to be healed and restored, yet I don't want to tell you anything. Now, isn't it interesting that he would throw in, I just confess to him, But you have to also, see, if you confess to God alone, he said he cleanses you. If you want to be healed and restored, you got to give it to somebody else. So that's why I'm saying a lot of us are healed, I mean, restored, I mean, cleansed. We're cleansed before God. Why are we so sick? Because our love never goes this way. It's always just vertical. To be with God completely, you must be horizontal as well. We've got to do this with each other. So you make a decision, a complete choice. Do you want to be healed and restored? Because if you do, you must confess. Or you can choose to be sick and not restored. It's your choice. Get to do what you want. But don't then complain to God about your lack of healing. Don't then pray and beg God, heal me. He didn't told you what you got to do. He's not changing his direction. So it's choice. You know, we, get to, we can die of a, a sickness. You probably will make it dead. This life here may stink. But if you can bear it out, we'll know when you're getting out of here. If you can bear it out, your choice. And then we love the, you know, the earnest prayer of the righteous man. We didn't skip to everything else. And why is it hard to confess to each other? It's because all we do is shame each other. You come tell me your stuff, and I'm like, oh. I want to act like I'm being receiving of your confession. But then you feel. And then I'm like, wow, you did that? Well, the Lord will forgive you, but now you didn't put all your junk on top of me and I already got the voices because, you know, the, the inner critic is already kicking my tail. He didn't beat me up before I even came to tell you, and then you got the nerve to look ugly when I tell you at least play it off. 
So now all y'all, if somebody confess to y'all, y'all do not shame nobody else. <laughs> y'all try to be as much like Jesus as possible, kill your own inner critic, and help them be healed and restored. Second Corinthians 10 and 5. It says we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. The only way we can do all this is by the power of God. You cannot do it within yourself. You've got to evoke the power that God gave you. 1 John 1 and 9. It says, if we freely admit that we have sinned, freely, and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteous. Everything not in conformity to his will, in purpose, thought, and action. I'm going to read you guys this poem I found. And then we're going to chat, if y'all want to chat. And it's uh, called Toxic Shame. It says, I was there at your conception in the epinephrine of your mother's shame. You felt me in the fluid of your mother's womb. I came upon you before you speak, before you understood, before you had any way of knowing. I came upon you when you were learning to walk, when you were unprotected and exposed, when you were vulnerable and needy, before you had any boundaries. My name? It's toxic shame. I came upon you when you were magical, before you could know I was there. I severed your soul. I pierced you to the core. I brought you feelings of being flawed and defective. I brought you feelings of distrust, ugliness, stupidity, doubt, worthlessness, inferiority, and unworthiness. I made you feel different. I told you there was something wrong with you. I soiled your God-likeness. My name is Toxic Shame. I existed before conscious, before guilt, before morality. I am the master emotion. I am the internal voice that whispered words of condemnation. I am the internal shudder that courses through you without any mental preparation. My name is Toxic Shame. I live in secrecy, in the deep moist banks of darkness depression and despair. I always, I sneak upon you, I catch you off guard and I come through the back door. Uninvited, unwanted, the first to arrive. I was there at the beginning of time with Father Adam, Mother Eve, Brother Cain. I was at the Tower of Babel, the slaughter of the innocents. My name is Toxic Shame. I came from shameless caretakers, abandonment, ridicule, abuse, neglect, perfectionistic systems. I'm empowered by the shocking intensity of a parent's rage, the cruel remarks of siblings, the jeering humiliation of other children, the awkward reflection in the mirrors, the touch that feels icky and frightening, the slap, the pinch, the jerk that ruptures trust. I'm intensified by racist, sexist culture, the righteous condemnation of religious bigots, the fear and pressure of schooling, the hypocrisy of politicians, the multi-generational shame of dysfunctional family systems. My name is toxic shame. I bring pain that is chronic, a pain that will not go away. I am the hunter that stalks you night and day. Every day, everywhere, I have no boundaries. You try to hide from me, but you cannot because I live inside of you. I make you feel hopeless like there is no way out. My name is toxic shame. My pain is so unbearable that you must pass me on to others, 
through control, perfectionism, contempt, criticism, blame, envy, judgment, power, and rage. My pain is so intense, you must cover me up with addictions, rigid roles, reenactment, and unconscious ego defenses. My pain is so intense that you must numb me out and no longer feel me. I convinced you that I am gone, that I do not exist. You experience absence and emptiness. My name is toxic shame. I am the core of codependency. I am spiritual bankruptcy, the logic of absurdity, the repetition of compulsion. I am crime, violence, incest, and rape. I am the vicarious hole that fuels all addictions. I am instability and lust. I twist who you are into what you do and have. I murder your soul and you pass me on for generations. My name is Toxic Shame. And that's a nice summation of what shame is. And it's a nice summation of Satan. It's what he does. It's who he is. And if we do not get this out of us, we let him rule. It's hard to do. It's painful to do. It's probably the deepest journey you will ever go on is trying to rid yourself from that and be able to see where it's coming from. And when you react and when you feel this way, to be able to pinpoint where it came from, you will change your life. You will start uprooting stuff that was there for, for forever. Nothing I ever prescribe is generally easy, which is why my crowd is so doggone small because I keep running folks away. I need to stick to the script and do what everybody else does. But at any rate, if you want to have a profound life, a life where God can really get the glory and be able to shine through you, you got to release that stuff. you got to shake some of it off. And you also have the 100% right to think everything I just said was a bunch of junk. And walk out of here exactly how you were and say, I'm not touching none of that. Because I know Jesus, and I know Jesus loves me, and I'm going to go on what I've been doing. Hmm. And no judgment from me, because everybody got a life they got to live their way. <laughs>